Chapter Fourteen of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter Fourteen. Lady Cecil's house was situated on the heights that overlook Fairlight Bay near Hastings. Anyone who has visited that coast knows the peculiar beauty of the rocks, downs, and groves of Fairlight. The oak which clothes each dell, and, in a dwarf and clipped state, forms the hedges, imparts a richness not only to the wide landscape, but to each broken nook of ground and sequestered corner. The fern, which grows only in contiguity to the oak, giving a wild forest appearance to the glades. The mansion itself was large, convenient, and cheerful. The grounds were extensive, and from points of view you could see the wide sea, the more picturesque bay, and the undulating varied shore that curves in towards Winchelsea. It was impossible to conceive a scene more adapted to revive the spirits, and to give variety and amusement to the thoughts. Elizabeth grew better, as by a miracle, the very day after her arrival and within a week a sensible change had taken place in her appearance as well as her health the roses bloomed in her cheeks her step regained its elasticity her spirits rose even to gaiety all was new and animating lady cecil's beautiful and spirited children delighted her it was a domestic scene adorned by elegance and warmed by affection Elizabeth had, despite her attachment to her father, often felt the weight of loneliness when left by him at Zante, or when his illness threw her back entirely on herself. Now on each side there were sweet kind faces, playful tender caresses, and a laughing mirth cheering in its perfect innocence. The only annoyance she suffered arose from the great influx of visitors— Having lived a life disjoined from the crowd, she soon began to conceive the hermitous delight in loneliness, and the vexation of being intruded upon by the frivolous and indifferent. She found that she loved friends, but hated acquaintance. Nor was this strange. Her mind was quite empty of conventional frivolities. She had not been at a ball twice in her life, and then only when a mere child— yet all had been interest and occupation. To unbend with her was to converse with a friend, to play with children, or to enjoy the scenes of nature with one who felt their beauties with her. It was hard labor, she often said, to talk with people with whom she had not one pursuit, one taste in common. Often when a barouche, crowded with gay bonnets, appeared, she stole away. Lady Cecil could not understand this, Brought up in the thick of fashionable life, no person of her clique was a stranger, and if any odd people called on her, still they were in some way entertaining. Or if bores, bores are an integral portion of life, not to be shaken off with impunity, for, as oysters, they often retain the fairest pearls in close conjunction. "'You are wrong,' said Lady Cecil. "'You must not be a savage.' I cannot have mercy on you. This little jagged point in your character must be worn off. 
You must be as smooth and glossy in exterior as you are incalculably precious in the substance of your mind. Elizabeth smiled. But not the less, when a sleek, self-satisfied dowager, all smiles to those she knew, all impertinent scrutiny to the unknown, and a train of ugly old women in embryo, called for the present Mrs., followed each honoring her with an insolent stare. There was a spirit in her feet, and she could not stay, but hurried out into the woodland dells, and with a book, her own reveries, and the beautiful objects around her, as her companions, and feeling ecstatically happy, both at what she possessed and what she had escaped from. Thus it was one day that she deserted Lady Cecil, who was smiling sweetly on a red-faced, gouty squire, and listening placidly to his angry wife, who was complaining that her name had been put too low down in some charity list. She stole out from the glass door that opened on the lawn, and, delighted that her escape was secure, hurried to join the little group of children whom she saw speeding beyond into the park, "'Without a bonnet, Miss Faulkner!' cried Miss Jervis. "'Yes, and the sun is warm. "'You are not using your parasol, Miss Jervis. "'Lend it me, and let us go into the shade.' "'Then, taking her favorite child by the hand, she said, "'Come, let us pay visits. Mamma has got some visitors, so we will go and seek for some. "'There is my lord dear and pretty Lady Doe. "'Ah, pretty Miss Fawn, what a nice dappled frock you have on.' The child was enchanted, and they wandered on through the glades, among the fern, into a shady dell, quite at the other side of the park, and sat down beneath a spreading oak tree. By this time they had got into a serious talk of where the clouds were going, and where the first tree came from, when a gentleman, who had entered the park gates unperceived, rode by, and pulling up his horse suddenly, with a start, and an exclamation of surprise, he and Elizabeth recognized each other. "'Mr. Neville!' she cried, and her heart was full in a moment of a thousand recollections, of the gratitude she owed, their parting scene, and the many conjectures she had formed about him since they separated. He looked more than pleased, and the expression of gloomy abstraction which his face too often wore was lighted up by a smile that went straight to the heart. He sprung from his horse, gave the rein to his groom, and, joining Elizabeth and her little companion, walked towards the house. Explanations and surprise followed. He was the praised expected brother of Lady Cecil. How strange that Elizabeth had not discovered this relationship at Marseilles! And yet, at that time, she had scarcely a thought to spare beyond Faulkner. His recovery surprised Neville, and he expressed the warmest pleasure. He looked with tenderness and admiration at the soft and beautiful creature beside him, whose courage and unwearied assiduity had preserved her father's life. It was a bewitching contrast to remember her face shadowed by fear, her vigilant, anxious eyes fixed on her father's wan countenance, her thoughts filled with one sad fear, and now to see it beaming in youthful beauty, animated by the happy, generous feelings which were her nature. Yet this very circumstance had a sad reaction upon Neville. His heart still bore the burden of its sorrow, and he felt more sure of the sympathy of the afflicted mourner than of one who looked untouched by any adversity. 
the sentiment was transitory for elizabeth with that delicate tact which is natural to a feeling mind soon gave such a subdued tone to their conversation as made it accord with the mysterious unhappiness of her companion when near the house they were met by lady cecil who smiled at what she deemed a sudden intimacy naturally sprung between two who had so many qualities in common lady cecil really believed them made for each other and had been anxious to bring them together for being passionately attached to her brother and grieving at the melancholy that darkened his existence she thought she had found a cure in her new friend and that the many charms of elizabeth would cause him to forget the misfortunes on which he so vainly brooded she was still more pleased when an explanation was given and she found that they were already intimate already acquainted with the claims each possessed to the other's admiration and interest and each naturally drawn to seek in the other that mirror of their better nature that touch of kindred soul which showed that they were formed to share existence or separated to pine eternally for a reunion lady cecil with playful curiosity questioned why they had concealed their being acquainted elizabeth could not well tell she had thought much of neville but first the prohibition of falconer and then the excessive praises lady cecil bestowed upon her brother chained her tongue the one had accustomed her to preserve silence on a subject deeply interesting to her the other jarred with any confidence for there would have been a comparing neville with the gerard which was indeed himself and Elizabeth neither wished to have her friend depreciated, nor to struggle against the enthusiasm felt by the lady for her brother. The forced silence of to-day on such a subject renders the silence of to-morrow almost a matter of necessity, and she was ashamed to mention one she had not already named. It may be remarked that this sort of shame arises in all dispositions. It is the seal and symbol of love. Shame of any kind was not akin to the sincere and ingenuous nature of Elizabeth. But love, though young and unacknowledged, will tyrannize from the first and produce emotions never felt before. Neville hoarded yet more avariciously the name of Elizabeth. There was delight in the very thought of her, but he shrunk from being questioned. He had resolved to avoid her, for, till his purpose was achieved, and the aim of his existence fulfilled, he would not yield to the charms of love, which he felt hovered round the beautiful Elizabeth. Sworn to a sacred duty, no self-centred or self-prodigal passion should come between him and its accomplishment. But meeting her thus unawares, he could not continue guarded his very soul drank in gladness at the sight of her he remarked with joy the cheerfulness that had replaced her cares he looked upon her open brow her eyes of mingled tenderness and fire her figure free and graceful in every motion and felt that she realized every idea he had formed of feminine beauty he fancied indeed that he looked upon her as a picture that his heart was too absorbed by its own griefs to catch a thought beyond 
he was unmindful while he gazed of that emanation that shadow of the shape which the latin poet tells us flows from every object that impalpable impress of her form and being which the air took and then folded round him so that all he saw entered as it were into his own substance and became mingled up for evermore with his identity End of chapter 14